At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. This episode is proudly sponsored by NiceJob. Visit get.nicejob.com to find out all about NiceJob's reputation marketing platform. You can collect two to three times more customer reviews using NiceJob's specific review campaign, which starts with a text message and follows with up to three emails, ensuring that your customer has every opportunity to leave you a five-star review. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Visit get.nicejob.com. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and my latest little demo was the Yellow Jacket, the 220-pound digital compact scale. Basically, it has a, a wired remote control. It can work in different units, pounds, ounces, kilograms, and I stuck my little bottle of Nylog White on it, and it measured uh, 4.4 ounces, so it, it can measure down to a low, very low 4.4 ounces is, is pretty low to a, a low measurement and measured it accurate accurately and and that little bottle is a four ounce bottle of of nylog white plus the weight of the bottle and the cap itself weighed 4.4 ounces so pretty looks like it's a pretty accurate scale looks like it's a pretty rugged scale as well so thanks to the master group guys check out master.ca All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We have another educational podcast. Education is super important in this trade and continuing that education is super important in this trade. Don't get comfortable, all right? Don't get complacent. Don't think you know everything. Keep your journey going. doesn't matter if you've been in the industry for a year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You can always pick up new knowledge because the trade is constantly advancing. Now... On this podcast, we got Don Gillis from Emerson. Don's a super smart guy. This is his second go around on the show. And what we're going to talk about on this particular episode is scroll compressor internal protection. All right. A little bit about external protection, but mainly internal protection of a scroll compressor. Now, Don experienced some of this firsthand when he went to Lebanon, which I thought was the country Lebanon, but you'll listen in the podcast where I made that mistake. Not a big deal. Um, firsthand on the assembly line, volunteering, putting these compressors together, which would, would have been a very cool experience for anybody in the industry to, to work on a line to put these scrolls together. And Don's going to talk about that as well off the hop. Now, Don didn't have his laptop with him. We did this by phone and Zoom, and Zoom sometimes has a bit of a lag or a robotic sound to to my voice or a guest's voice. So it happens a couple times during the podcast. Nothing major. I just wanted to let you know. Anyway, guys, let's get into Dawn. Let's get into scroll compressor protection. This is a good one. Pay attention. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. 
Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, Don, you're back. You're back on the HVAC Know It All podcast. How's it going, man? Really good. Really good. Thanks for Emerson. Thanks you. I thank you. I appreciate the offer. Hey, man, you got it. Uh, so listen, I'm I'm a, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I was up really late last night, so I'm I'm kind of like I'm in one of those states where like I'm just kind of I'm just kind of existing. <laughs> You know what I mean? You're so tired. So I, I got, ex- yeah. I got, I got addicted to this show and I'm, I'm a late comer to this show because it's been around for a while, but there's a show called walking dead. I don't know if you've seen it and I'm, I'm a late comer. I'll admit it, but I, I got to season seven, episode one. And I was just <laughs> floored at, at what happened in the show last night. And I'm like, I have to keep watching. I don't think I went to bed till like two in the morning and I, I never do that. So oh, it's, it's, it's crazy. I was going to brag that I stayed up till 10, but you blew me away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, the last podcast we did, I sort of anointed you the, the Barry white of HVAC because your voice came through so smooth and silky. Did I, did I mention that to you? You, you did not. Is it, is it coming through good tonight? It's coming through very smooth and silky. It's not as clear as it was on your laptop because you're on your phone, um, but yeah. you, you can still you can still pick up that that late night um, sort of low key DJ tone <laughs> from, yeah. from your voice. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know where we're going with this, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man. I'm just I'm just existing right now. I just uh, I'm just here. So we got to talk because you. You did something really cool and you went to Lebanon and volunteered to build compressors at the factory. You got to tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, like everybody else in the world, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're needing help and, uh, they're shorthanded right now. And, uh, they were taking volunteers, uh, from Sydney and all over the place. And someone mentioned to me from the air conditioning side, the plant I went to is pretty much solely air conditioning, uh, but it's a very big, big facility. Uh, they do a lot there, so they're pumping them out. Um, so anyways, I volunteered and uh, went down with a group of, uh, I think, six or seven. Neither, none of us really knew each other. Uh, I mean, I saw names, but um, out of all, all of them, I, I knew one guy from the Helix. Uh, but anyways, we, yeah, so we worked. We started on Monday. We drove down in, uh, on Sunday. We, uh, we started on Monday morning, got a brief tutorial, watched the safety video, and uh, jumped in on the line. So the way they do it, which is very common in the, in the States, um, because of carpal tunnel, what have you, you work a couple hours in one station, you take a break, and then you they move you to a different station. So my first station looked like this. I was doing the, uh, I was doing the shafts and rotors, and then when it would press those together, I would turn around and put them on a belt uh, with the compressor that they were going to go into, and I would put the little flinger, the oil flinger, in the bottom of the shaft, and, uh, and, you, and the whole line's connected, so you got to stay up. And, uh, and then after break, I would go put the, uh, the top caps of the compressor. These were all scrolls now. Uh, the, tops of the, of the, uh, the top cap of the compressor, and then right below that, 
I know you know this, but there's uh, what we call a muffler plate. Uh, and uh, that separates the low suction pressure from the high discharge pressure. Then my third job was to put, take the upper and lower scroll set, the fixed and orbiting, and set those inside the compressor And uh, uh, prior to the caps going on. And uh, I was dropping the bolts down in there. And the first day or two, I think all we pumped out was two-stage or two-step. And then the last job I was doing what they call, I, I didn't even know this existed, but uh, they have what they call an air gap test. And the air gap test is to make sure there's clearance. I mean, we don't use air gap out in the field. Obviously, we don't want air in there. But in mm-hmm. the factory, they refer to it as air gap. And you slide this little uh, metering device. Um, this, uh, this, this, and each one of them has a different uh, uh, dimension on it. You slide it down between the rotor and stator and make sure there's just a slight clearance there. So that was my day for uh, 10 hours. Um, and I worked down there four or five, five days, I guess. Um, some of the guys stayed, actually stayed till Saturday, but we had a, we had a family wedding. So I headed back. Um, but yeah, so that was exciting. And, uh, as usual, you know, like all of us do, like you do, like, you know, I learned from you all the time and Trevor and guys like that, uh, I learned a lot. There was things that I talk about in class that they were able to shed even more light on. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds very cool. And how was the experience being in Lebanon, like the, the culture and just the food and all and the people? How, how was that? So that's down by the Ozarks. And uh, so there's, there's pretty water, very clear water, a lot of uh, trout fishing just south of us. Um, big into their craft beers um out it's really out in the middle of nowhere lebanon's uh i think i read going in it was like fourteen thousand people but it's a very industrial area similar to where i'm at right now similar to what sydney is the sydney straddles i-75 which is a major highway coming down from uh like detroit down to florida so it's heavily traveled um this is on 40 i believe or 54 i can't remember now but Anyways, it's out in the middle of nowhere, but there's like the, 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 the five biggest boat manufacturers, I hope I'm saying that right, are located there. So getting labor is kind of a struggle between all the manufacturers in that area. But Emerson is the uh, largest employer there. So it's uh, yeah, people really nice, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a just a Midwest feel uh, like it is here. I didn't really notice a difference with any cultures or anything like that, you know, good barbecue. And uh, they had more barbecue than we do. You know, I, you know, why I asked you is because when you said Lebanon, I thought you meant like the country Lebanon. I thought you were in the yeah. country Lebanon. That's why I asked yeah. you that. That's, I didn't even know there was a place near the Ozarks called Lebanon. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know either. In fact, when we talk about it in class, that last digit on the serial number is where the, the uh, compressor was made. And when you see an L, that stands for Lebanon, Missouri. Ah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so it's, uh, and we always, I don't personally, but other instructors that came before me and still help us out occasionally, the senior guys, they, they kind of play on that a little bit. It's not Lebanon, the country. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, we cleared that up. So I, I know that you wanted to talk because you were building these compressors. You wanted to talk about the safeties inside of the compressors yeah. and, and how they function and, and what sort of protection they, they give the compressor. Yeah. So it's always interesting. When we're doing classes, you know, around the, the state. Um, but a lot of guys don't have the opportunity like you do in some of your videos and some of the more aggressive uh, 
you know, real, you know, uh, meticulous guys that like to get in there and tear things down. And it's a welded product, right? So even when it's a semi-hermetic, you know, a lot of guys don't open those things up. And if they do open them up on the semis, even they might see it, but they don't really know what it's doing. So I thought, you know, when you called it and we talked a little bit about doing something, I thought, you know what, might be a good, I don't know if I've ever talked about some of our safety devices that are in there that are helping protect the compressors. So I thought it might be a good topic just to point them out and maybe give some temperatures and some pressures of what those things, what they do, first of all, how they react, what they're made of, and uh, what they go off on. Basically, it's all about protecting the compressors. I I love it. I love it. So um, you, in your... Or your note to me, you had like three, I, th- I think these are all valves, TOD, IPR, and check valve. Are those the three that you, you like to focus on? Yeah, I want to touch on those. I really want to get into, I mean, let's just start with the TOD. The TOD is, uh, so it is located in that top plate that I talked about just below the top cap, okay? The top plate is, again, is where that discharge gas comes through the scroll. So it's a cover. It's called a it's called a muffler plate. Also, uh, it goes by two names. It does keep some sound down there. It's it's made of steel, and uh, so it comes through that hole that discharges that scroll pushes it out there. And then everything above that, the top, hence the heat that you feel at the top of a scroll, um, is discharge gas. So it's 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 really it does two functions. It separate it it helps with noise going straight up the condenser. It also uh, helps separates the low side to high side, if you will. And that TOD is located in that top cap, and it is based on temperature. It's a thermal operating disc. It's a bimetal safety that reacts on heat, and the two materials are made of two different things, bimetal, and uh, they'll separate on high heat. And those, uh, you know, it's going to depend on the model, the, uh, the size of the unit, they range anywhere from 260 to 290 degrees. They'll go off. And again, it's per application. And uh, I, I grabbed a, a, I got my AEAP before I came on tonight. And I just, just like, you know, just like you do Google search. And I bumped some names in there and, and popped up some of those AE bulletins. And again, that, that app's free, by the way. And uh, so it, what it does, Gary, is it, when that pressure differential let's say on a normal, uh, on a, on all refrigerants. Okay. Besides 410A, uh, they'll go off somewhere between 375 and 425. Okay. Now that's a temperature difference. Okay. Uh, pardon me. I, I, I misspoke there. They go off anywhere from 260 degrees to 290 degrees. I apologize. And what that does, Gary, is it's got that bimetal in there. There's a little orifice in the dead center of it. And when they separate, it opens up that orifice to allow that gas to shoot down on the inherent protector that's tied into the windings, and it causes that shutdown. Okay, that heat shoots right down on that inherent protector, and that causes a shutdown. So that's one, and that's based on temperature. That's a thermal operating disc, a bimetal disc. I want to point out to you that when I first started at Emerson, I noticed a common theme that no matter which application it is, they always it's whether it's 260 or somewhere between 260 and 290, you'll notice in all of our safety devices, they, they settle right below that 300 mark. And we'll get into that later, that 300 degrees. And I'll, and I'll point out the significance of that. And you probably know the answer. And most of your listeners probably do already, but that's one. So that's based on temperature. And then we have the IPR and it's, 
it's it's penetrated through that top cap also. So one side's on the low side, one side's on the high side. Now, unlike the TOD, this is based on pressure, pressure differential. It's an IPR, okay, internal pressure relief, okay. So on those, on on all refrigerants, uh, it, it, with the exception of 410A, it will go off somewhere between 375 and 425 pressure differential. So if you get a high compression ratio, or your condenser is dirty, and that discharge pressure or your suction pressure gets too low, either or, if it gets outside that 375 to 425, uh, that's going to go off, okay? And again, that's going to vary on application, all right? Same thing, it does the same thing that the TOD does as far as where it heads to. It's angled down right on top of that same inherent protector. And most of these compressors have both of them. Uh, the ones that don't have them have an external protection, and that's done by the OEM. And we'll talk about that at a different, uh, a different day. But those mm -hmm. are the two. Once the TOD goes off on temperature, the IPR goes off on pressure. The last thing I wanted to talk Perfect. about was check so, out. I noticed we pass parts mm -hmm. around the class. We send a box out along with us and ship it ahead. And, uh, you know, a lot of different things. When we get to the safety devices, it's an hour or two or whatever. Uh, a lot of guys haven't seen, guys and gals, have not seen, like, check valves. They don't even know there's a check valve there. In most all applications, there's going to be a check valve at the discharge port of the compressor. Now, it's, it, it's, it's, it acts somewhat as a safety device in the sense that what it's doing is we're trying to eliminate that re-expansion gas coming back into that scroll set and causing that compression ratio to be high. We want to keep that high pressure that's already, we've already paid to have compressed outside the low side so we don't have to compress it. It's already starting at a higher pressure. So that's one. Now, most compressors, most scroll compressors, like I said, have that discharge port or disc check valve in the discharge port. Some applications, when that shell gets larger, where that, that top cap gets larger and there's more gas uh, in between that top cap and that uh, and that uh, muffler plate, if you will, um, then we're gonna have, we got to do something with that. So you'll see in some applications you'll see a check valve right at the discharge port of the actual scroll set. And uh, one of the one of those uh, there's 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 a couple different sizes and shapes and names depending on the application. But one of them that's common for 410A is uh, it's referred to as USD. There's a lot of fancy names out there. But the, at the end of the day, they're all check valves, and that's what they do. They keep that gas out of there. They keep that compression ratio. I think you and I have talked about this before, and and, uh, and maybe not. Maybe it was someone else. But, you know, the number one uh, reason that compressors fail, and it doesn't matter what compressor is, is, is high heat. Mm -hmm. And the number one cause of high heat is compression ratio. And compression ratio as you know, by definition, is the ratio of the absolute discharge pressure, PSIA, to the absolute suction pressure, PSIA. So you're just dividing that suction into the discharge pressure. So on an air conditioning application, and this isn't sketched in stone, but a ballpark figure, uh, I don't really like to use rules of thumb, but as one wise instructor told me one time, being in the ballpark is better than being outside the ballpark. So a ballpark uh, figure there on air conditioning would be like three to one. Okay, uh, medium temp might be look like somewhere around five to one. Uh, low temperature is 10 to one. The reason I point that out is 
the farther those numbers get apart from one another, the harder that compressor is working, the more robust. So if you walk up onto a air conditioning unit and it's running 10 to 1 or 12 to 1, you know she's smoking hot. Even though you can't see in that compressor, if you're going to gauge up, we're not saying you should gauge up. Uh, it's one of the last things you want to do. But if you should gauge up, it's a very easy process to check that. You're taking your gauge pressure, you're adding your atmospheric pressure, and turning it into absolute. And again, the suction pressure is divided into the to the head pressure of the high side, so the discharge gas. So that's that's a couple things there. Um, the inherent protector, like I said, is wired in series into the into the windings, and it opens up. That's why a lot of folks don't know. I didn't know. I know my first service call. I jokingly say was, uh, the, you know, the owner of the company said, "Don't panic. Everything's all right." I said, "Hey, I didn't have the dis- I didn't have the the liquid line open, and it just made this incredible noise, and it just went." Shh and shut down. He said, don't panic. He said, uh, just, just go back to the job site. Back then we didn't have cell phones. And he said, just run some cold water over the top of it. Well, I didn't know. And he didn't explain because it was probably too much for me to, to understand my first year was I was cooling that inherent protector. I was expediting that heat and, and going down. And you know, in refrigeration, that's very common with like ice bag, bags of ice and what have you. So yeah, uh, those are just some things that are, are interesting things. Interesting. So I, I have a couple questions. So yeah. the, 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 the pump, um, the IPR, the internal pressure relief valve, that would prevent you in certain situations to pump a scroll compressor down? Yes or no? All right, quick break, guys. So 8%, as you guys know, that listen along gets you 8% off your purchase at True Tech Tools, except for Fluke and Fleer. Now they're running a, a one-time thing right now, which gets you 10% off a Haven IAQ central air monitor. All right, now the promo code for that is H-A-V-E-N-1-0, Haven10. So use that promo code to get 10% off the Haven IAQ central air monitor. Testo, people have been asking, should I get the 557S or the 550S? Well. Some people say that you shouldn't need a four-port manifold because we shouldn't be pulling vacuums through our manifold. And yes, that's true. Some people still do. If you pull a vacuum through it, it'll just be slower. Anyway, what I like to use my fourth port for is if you're recovering a lot of refrigerant, once you get that liquid out, the vapor tends to be a lot slower. So that fourth port with a larger hose and a larger fitting, we all know that larger openings and larger hoses, we get more flow, right? So you can use that fourth port, the larger port, recovering refrigerant from a system when you get to that vapor pull down, right? When it's wide open, you're not throttling anything and it will pull down a bit quicker. That's what I use the fourth port for on my 557S. Navac is having a a promo code, which they did last year as well, buy a qualified vacuum pump and get two of three free tools. You get a half inch hose, vacuum rated, 3 8 hose, vacuum rated, and I believe these have quarter-inch ends on them, I think. Um, and then a core removal tool. So you get to pick two of three of those with a qualified vacuum pump. They're pumps. I've been using them now for about two and a half years. Fabulous quality in the pumps. The battery pumps are still running strong. That 12 CFM pump left it overnight on a few occasions, and it still works like a champ. The other thing I wanted to, to hit on quickly is the HVAC Know-It-All app is growing steadily. When it first launched, 
Everybody was posting everything all over the place. Now we've sort of settled down and people are posting when they need to know something or have some good information to share so that it's good quality um, feedback, it's good quality back and forth and people are learning. And what I'll do sometimes is if somebody hasn't got an answer they need, I will blast that entire post out to the, to the whole app. So if you get a notification um, that says like help or thoughts or what should we do, or it's it's me blasting it out to the, the whole app to help the person that's asking. So it's about 10 bucks uh, US, about 1350 Canadian. In other countries, I'm not sure what it would cost or, or the, the, um, the rate at which the money changes. So... It's worldwide though, guys, if you want to hop on it and talk to some people in the industry that are serious about learning and bettering themselves and helping each other, the HVAC Know It All app is is where that's done. And that's it, guys. Let's get back to Don. That That is correct. In some applications, it's impossible to, um, there are some exceptions to that, but yes, it's a very good observation. Also, uh, the other thing there that's considered a safety uh, valve, a uh, safety device, Gary, is what we call the floating seal. It gets a little confusing with the floating seal. It's a flying saucer-looking disc, if you will, that sets right down in the center, and like a donut, right on the top of the fixed scroll or the upper scroll, uh, in layman's terms. Okay, and what that does is, upon startup, we start unloaded. It's a two-pull. That's why we can get away with using two-pull motors. It's unloaded starts up as a little bleed port right there inside through board through that top upper upper scroll and it bleeds that gas and pushes that cavity up and that floating seal hits that muffler plate okay and that causes that discharge gas only to be able to go directly up and nowhere else if it drops down it's got about a half inch there where it can go back into the suction gas so that's how the whole process the reason I bring the floating seal up is, remember, we've got that bleed port there between the two scroll sets that's like putting that gas in there, filling up that cavity between that upper scroll and that floating seal that butts it up against. So going back to compression ratio, if I'm working with air conditioning and my compression ratio gets too high, okay, outside the specs, that gas gets weaker in that area. That hole is purposely drilled in the intermediate area in the medium part of the scroll set where the medium pressure is. So think of taffy, you've got your low side, your high side, and you're pulling that taffy apart like on a hot summer day, the center is going to get weaker. So the pressure doesn't have enough to push that floating seal up. So that's considered a safety device also, and it will shut down. Once that pressure gets too low, that floating seal pops down. But that, getting back to your original comment or question, that floating seal is the part of the reason you can't pump, uh, a major part of the reason you can't pump a scroll down too. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've witnessed this several times, um, especially on residential units. If, if I'm trying to move it for a friend or whatever, they're doing renos and they, they need to move. This happened the last time I tried to do this. I'm trying to pump down the, <laughs> it got to like, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe, 75% of the way. And then all you heard was like the internal relief valve opening up and equalizing the pressures. I'm like, ah, okay, I guess we got to recover the rest. <laughs> 
So that's, that's what we did. Um, and then, then my other question to you is, is this, as far as the check valves go, I remember back in the day we used to, with a scroll compressor, had to install an external check valve on the discharge line. Is that because back then they didn't have, they didn't have check valves in the discharge line in the compressor itself? That is true. Yeah. Good point. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I've heard the, the history lesson on it. I don't know if there's an exact month. There probably is, I'm sure, with engineering. But uh, they they unveiled our scroll set, the Copeland scroll, um, the compressor, in 1986, I believe it hit the ground. Um, great reviews, good, you know, everything's solid, uh, quiet, everything's going good. And then we started getting phone calls on this shutdown noise. And without that check valve, what they found was is that scroll could actually run backwards with that high discharge gas coming back into it. Also, yep. re-expansion gas. It's a learning process. All that was done in Sydney, Ohio. Um, so, I, from the story I told, there was there was two or three there was two or three different models out there, and I won't say they were failures. They just weren't as good as what they finally got to. What they got to, there was a clutch type application and different things. And some of them are still out there. I've seen them tore open before where some of the original ones are still inside there, believe it or not. But uh, so someone in the lab, from what I understand, made the comment, why don't we just put a check valve in there? And, and hence, that's how it was devised. So and again, I've got probably 10 different styles and shapes on my my desk right now. I think I did a little video the other day on check valves because they're really you know, a lot of folks, including myself, did not know that back in the day that they're there. And going back to what you said about that pump down, um, I did the same thing. I, I, I can't imagine anybody, unless they just came out of the gate with, uh, you know, a bunch of schooling and, and, and knew how to, you know, knew all about the cup and scroll that you weren't allowed, you couldn't pump down most scrolls. And uh, it's frustrating. You're scared. You know, you don't know, what did I do? It's Now it's, it's broke internally, you know. Yeah, no, I, the first time I heard that noise, I thought the compressor was broken as well. <laughs> um, and then, then you just leave it for a bit and start it and it's fine. So um, going back to this check valve thing, I, I find it interesting because I've heard that noise that you're talking about when, when the scroll shuts down and the gas, um, the, this, the high pressure discharge gas causes that scroll to rotate backwards. So if somebody were to encounter that now in the field uh maybe it's an older compressor that didn't have the check valve in it or maybe it's a newer one and it's doing it what would you recommend the course of action to be at at that point if, so if the machine's running well if it's running well but it's yeah. just on the on the off cycle it's spinning backwards yeah so if 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 you if let's just say let's say it has a check valve that possibly malfunctions so as okay. you said earlier, you would add that check valve. If you can diagnose that check valve is in fact, if it doesn't have a check valve and it's running backwards, the 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 the, uh, the, the source back then was you just power the unit down and start back up again. Uh, we caught it quick enough within I think it was like three or four months to where, and I don't I don't know the history of that whether those were pulled out or not, but uh, with prior to having check valves. I just know they they uh, they handled it very very quickly within the year. I think it was less than six months, if I'm not mistaken. And somebody out there knows uh, better than I do. That listening from Emerson, please uh, please send Gary a, a message on that. So, but if you just power it down, start it back up, you'll be fine. Awesome. Okay. All right. 
And you mentioned a magical number earlier and said that we would get to it later. And I think we should probably hit on the magical number of 300, 300. Yeah, about 300 degrees. So I used to say, you know, in classes that, you know, this is, uh, you know, on all compressors. I backed off of that now because somebody much wiser than I that's now retired said, let's do it this way. Let's say we'll just speak about our, our compressor. And I said, you're right. Because it, but in, in the actuality, it doesn't matter whose compressor it is because the 300 degrees is when uh, oil will start to break down. Uh, it starts to lose its lubricity, okay? When you lose your lubricity, you're going to have a much higher viscosity of the oil, and that's really make, what makes the world go around the compression world. You know that. Oil is mm-hmm. crucial. Oil is key. Getting that oil return back is key. So when you start to get that, um, as you know, you start to get that thinner wall, whether it's a piston or, you know, that, that thinnest film of oil in the piston uh, is in between the, in, in the, in the reciprocating type is between the cylinder and uh, the cylinder walls and the piston itself. So that's the first one that it attacks because it's such a thin uh, film of oil. Uh, the other thing that's not working in our favor, is it's also the closest point to the discharge gas. So you have uh, planets aligning, they're crashing. Uh, so that 300 degrees, you get into 300, somewhere between, again, depending on the application, 300, 320, uh, you know, you start to lose your lubricity. If you get up above 350, the oil is seriously breaking down. And 50, 350 degrees is where we'll show pictures of where we know it got at 350 degrees because it started to carbon up, okay? So that's what the magical number is. And the magical number I'm referring to is 225. Anyone that's ever taken one of my classes, I, I did a little ditty back in, when I first started. And I thought I always like to do a little, you know, whether it's colors or rhymes or ways you can lock things in your head. I'm, I'm a simple person. I like to, that's the way I was taught. I like to, you know, we can't retain everything. But just remember, 225, stay alive. And what I mean by that is, take your, and this is all without getting inside that compressor. I mean, think about this. If you're gauged up, only if you're gauged up, you can check your compression ratio and, you're, and, you're, and you know what's going on inside the compressor without, you know, looking through the shell. And if you take your temperature six inches down the discharge line, and whatever that is, as long as it's below 225 in most applications, and I'll, and I'll get back to that, you, you can do your math. We found that at the hottest point of any compressor, all semi-hermetics, and about 90-some percent, I think, are somewhere that thereabouts. It's a very high number of scrolls. You're going to lose somewhere between 50 to 75 degrees. And this is straight across the board, and it's not snake oil. So what engineers and what experienced technicians years ago, before we had all the technology, they always use, well, if it's the worst scenario and we lost 75 degrees, from that discharge port, let's say we're working with a scroll, it just left that muffler plate through that hottest point of the scroll there, okay? If we take the worst scenario of 75 and we add it to 225, we get that magical number of 300 degrees. Now, it doesn't mean the compressor's bad, okay? I mean, it could be 335, it could be 345. What do we want to do? We want to go upstream, if you will, up the line. Check our superheat going in the compressor. Is it high? Okay, it's high. Let's go back to the superheat leaving the evaporator. Is it high? Yeah, it's high. You might find that it's a metering device, a TXV that's just malfunctioned. You know, maybe you don't have a, a solid column of, of uh, subcooled liquid going into that TXV. So now where it gets confusing at is when you get into the upper models, okay, that 225 doesn't really hold true because on some of our applications, we don't have those 
internal protection devices that I talked about earlier, the IPR and then the uh, TOD. So what, what the OEM does is they put a thermostat protector on the discharge line, somewhere between you know the six inches right around there, and those will go off around 260 degrees. A lot of students will say, well, why 260? You said 225. You're right. The difference is 225, we're still letting you run. 260, we're shutting you down. Okay, so anybody out there that doesn't know this, and I'm sure everybody does, if you walk up on a unit and you're replacing the compressor and there's a thermostat uh, on that line there, that is the last line of defense to protect that compressor from overheat. Yep, I've seen it. I've done it myself, and I've seen it on a massive train unit at a mall. And I don't know what was wrong with this unit because the coils were clean. This thing was old and it was huge. It was like the size of a bus, like literally the size of a bus. And on the, the hottest days of the summer, there would be a lot of um, issues with, with this. There's two of them with these two machines. And I think they went through a lot of compressors. What I think personally is that the internals of the condenser were so fouled, um, like the walls of the, the condenser were so fouled with, with broken down oil. It just couldn't reject heat anymore the way it did originally when it was newer and and that was the cause of a lot of the problems and it had a discharge sure. it had a discharge thermostat um right on the line and and like you said last line of defense when that when that thermostat went off that was it everything shut down and and you really had to wait till the compressor cooled off and or it wouldn't restart um and this was a this and was that- a problem for a very long time with these units yeah yeah, and, and this is, uh, you know, for those of you listening that are involved in, like, enhanced vapor injection or liquid injection, th- this is the kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, safety devices you'll see in that also. It's, it's communicating back with that injection. If that, if that gas gets too hot uh, coming out of there, it's telling it, I need, you know, I need injected right now. I need to cool that down. And some of those low temperatures and some of those ultra-low temperatures, that's what we're doing. We, in order to get down there, with you're going to run a little hot so we know that going into it so we're going to inject some gas in there and we'll talk about that another time but again there'll be a thermostat there that's you know similar to what we just talked about on that discharge line and it's telling me what's leaving is too hot now you got to shoot some you know whatever whatever app type of injection you're using whether it's coming into the suction line or whether you're going directly in the head whatever that looks like but it's the same uh, line of defense mm-hmm. now i mean outside of those three valves or three protection devices that that we talked about externally from the compressor what 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 is important to protect it because it seems nowadays we have more external protection um that that i see as well i mean like with the core sense and there's actually a discharge line sensor that that ties into that too so like can you maybe talk about that for a sec yeah absolutely core sense is is the bomb in my opinion i I'm not a I'm not a psychic or anything, but I you know after I got introduced to Core Sense when I came here, I wasn't all that familiar with it. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, they have them from you know contactors for residential, light commercial, all the way up to the you know any type of refrigeration. Now they're they're pretty much standard on all your refrigeration, your expensive semi-remedics. It's pretty much standard, and a lot of your they're they're standard with your um, K5s and your K6s and and soon to be K7s, but on your injections, but yeah, communication, uh, great point there. That is, that's the big one right now. Electronics is where everything's going and they communicate back that. And when you get into the E2s and those kind of things, if you're in uh, supermarkets and refrigeration that you can take that information from the core sense 
and send it back to the E2 also. So they all work in conjunction with one another. Nice, nice. And I, it's, I find it amazing. I've seen units landed on the roof from different manufacturers that don't have high and low pressure safeties built into them. And I, it, it baffles my mind. It, is it because compressors nowadays have all of this protection around it? Do you think that's maybe why and they're not required? Like, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, no. And, and that's, you know, if you take, for example, if you went to the app, again, it's free, uh, HVAC fault finder app, mm-hmm. and you can, it's a, there's a desktop version too. You'll see every module on there and you'll see all the different protection. For the most part, they all run pretty much parallel with each other. And there's probably about nine or 10 safety devices. And, and it ranges from what you said, just like your low pressure, your high pressure. It's reading that. They're all based on algorithms, years and years of algorithms. So in, in a very simple term, that, that, that module knows what good looks like, if you will. So when it gets outside that algorithm, it knows, hey, this is what it's telling me. It's sending that message back that this is where, it, where it's headed at. Now, it won't tell you exactly where the problem is, but it will get you in the area of what it's doing. I mean, anything from a welded protect, uh, welded contactor to anything. And then you can hook that core sense, as you know, Gary. You can hook that up to alarms, uh, whether it be strobe. You can hook it up to audible. Uh, you can send it back to the E2, which the service technician would then get it on his cell phone and all kinds of good stuff. But, yeah, uh, the, the, it's pretty – like I said before, I, I, I don't know how many years it will be, but I – I feel strongly like anything else when something new comes out, it's maybe a little more expensive. Uh, but when you get into the more expensive compressors and you're paying, uh, I don't know what the numbers are. I don't get into the numbers, but let's say $9,000 per compressor. Uh, they're, they're a staple now on those compressors. Uh, there's just no way, shape or form about it. So if they go off, uh, there's probably a problem. Not a lot of faults with those things. There really isn't. So, um, and if there is a fault, ironically, there's a, there's an LED code for that also that will tell you you have a faulty board. So, Awesome stuff. So as far as the conversation of compressor protection, is there any, is there anything else to throw into that as far as you're concerned? Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, nothing really comes to mind now. I'm sure I'm going to think of two or three things after we get off the phone, but um, just I touched on all the internal stuff. Um, You've got your external, we talked about core sense. Um, nothing comes to mind now, but like I said, Gary, I'm getting old, so I'll get off the phone and be laying in bed later on. I'll, dang, I should have said that. <laughs> so actually, I, I, I have one one last question for you before, before we yeah. head. Um, as far as the, because you put these compressors together and, and maybe, I don't know if you've seen this part when you when you were there, in Lebanon, uh, Missouri, not, not Lebanon, <laughs> across the water. Um, did you did you have any any experience with installing the the, the thermistors that go in that sort of that the core sense picks up if it's getting too hot? Um, maybe talk about how those thermistors sort of where they're located and and how they work with the core sense. Yeah, those those thermistors are they're, they're, it's they're. So there are, everything is wired in the electronics is wired and they come in from the one side. Um, it's, it's very similar to almost like two stage compressors is communicating with the, with the, with the elect, uh, the electric, the windings inside. And then you have your outside protection. I did not get into your original question. I did not work with them at all. I never saw one installed. Now that you brought it up, I, 
I kind of wish I would. I, I did get to see the scroll and how it's made and the secret sauce there. So I have to go to, I have to go to my grave with that. So okay. uh, that's not been patented. So that was, that was pretty cool to see that new lab and where they're working at and behind closed doors. And, and uh, I felt honored to, to get that tour. And not a lot of many people did. Um, they saw corporate on my badge they made and they said, you know what? We trust you. And, but I did not see the internal protection. Uh, I apologize. No, that's okay. On because that, I, <clears throat> yes. that, that's fine. Um, cause, cause I had a thought about those, like in, in hydronics, a lot of sensors, um, they get, they get installed into like a well and you can remove them and, um, use a little bit of like heat, um, uh, some, some thermal paste for the conductivity of the, of the heat, uh, on, on the tip of the, of the sensing bulb. So I was just curious, like, cause, cause I know that these, um, these thermistors can sometimes fail once in a while. I just thought maybe Emerson um, have, if they've ever thought of this idea about putting the thermistor in a well in the compressor instead of having it embedded sort of where you can actually remove the thermistor if it fails and install a new one um, without changing out the compressor. If, if there is a thermistor, um, that's a great point. I mean, you're talking about a dry well, right, Gary? Yeah, like a, a dry, a, a dry well. Yeah. Basically, you you remove it, yeah. um, yeah. the thermistor set, and you you shove a new one in. You maybe put some thermal paste on it so it gets good conductivity with the inside of the compressor shell, and then it reads temperature that way. I don't know if it would work that way with a compressor. It's just a thought I had. Yeah, no, and that's how some of the ejections set up too. Um, Oh, now I'm going to have trouble remembering which one it was, but uh, it's mounted on the side. It's changeable. It's serviceable. And it actually has that uh, a thermistor that comes inside. Uh, the thermistor for, for that one, it may be the, the DCR. I believe it's the DCR valve, if I'm not mistaken, you might be referring to. And that actually is like almost looks like a bulb on a thermostat, if you will. And it, it's like a little copper tubing that comes up there. It's pressure temperature. Uh, and it kind of drops down in the, like a, underneath a dust cover at the very peak of the top of the scroll. That's the only I've, thing I've that seen I'm, that. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. I've and seen, then, so those I've are seen those. Taken out. And that's what it's doing. It's in a dry well there. And those are very common, uh, very, very common uh, on injection. Uh, they're a nice, clean uh, deal. Years, years ago, they used to have to use all kind of relays and different things like that. And uh, um, so the DCT, I believe, is what I'm referring to. And, uh, again, so that's very similar to what you're talking about there. Cool. Well, it was just a thought. I mean, maybe, maybe one day, maybe an engineer from Emerson will, will hear it and go, Hmm, <laughs> Eureka. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, pro but yeah. probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, man, I, I really appreciate it, Don. Again, um, you brought some great info and educated myself and the audience. So I thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I owe you the big thanks. Emerson owes you the thanks. You're you're doing a good job out there. We all love what you're doing. Uh, you know, it's always an honor to come on your show. You're you're I, I uh, you do get a lot of good stuff. I I see all the things you're doing out there on LinkedIn and the different places, and uh, and uh, I think you're a class act too. So you're always helping people, and that that's a good thing. That's where I like to be. Hey man, likewise, I appreciate that. And, and, and every time I see you online, you're just, you're bringing in that, that fire as far as the education goes yourself. So, I mean, pat yourself on the back too, Don. Don't be too modest. 
<laughs> I, <laughs> well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work on my humility. I'm trying. That's my, that's always one of my goals every year. Sometimes you get, uh, sometimes you get out traveling you, and not sometimes it's happened to me multiple times. I think it happens to everybody in whatever industry you're in. Sometimes you have to, uh, regroup and set back and, and realize, and I'm lucky enough to be blessed with the, um, the thought process of, uh, you remember when you were there and you were the guy asking the dumb questions and mm-hmm. you were there to do that. So I try yep. not to, I try to stay away from that. I think I do a fairly decent job. I try to, I don't, uh, I don't like the negativity. I I'm here to help somebody share that information with me like you're doing. And, uh, there's not enough people, uh, like yourself and some of the people out others that are doing podcasts out there. So, uh, I try to work on my humility because that's really where I want to be. I want to stay right there. I, I totally agree. Humility is uh, is definitely something that will get people on board with you because it's it's not, I mean, to, to pretend you you know everything and stuff like that and, and look down upon people that ask the quotations silly question is is not cool as far as I'm concerned. And also emp- empathy, to, to be empathetic, pathetic of people in the position that you were once in is is really a powerful thing once you can sit back and and be empathetic to somebody that's in that position of of being a green person within the trade you you can really um i think you can you can help them a little better because you just kind of forget the uh you forget your ego for a minute right and you just kind of put yourself back to where you were 20 years ago 15 years go and and from that point i think it's is an easy an easy way to just say hey yeah this guy needs help i'm gonna help him i got humility i got empathy i'm gonna i'm gonna roll with it so donna must thank you for your time your efforts and your knowledge and spreading the love and the educational stuff once again you guys uh Followed on on LinkedIn. He's, he's always got some videos and stuff and tidbits to share on his LinkedIn account. So give Don a follow if you guys are on LinkedIn. Good platform for professional discussion. But guys, I'm out. Thank you once again to the Master Group. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.